just a life that is happening here in northwest Indiana and uh, Cedar Lake, they call it Ileana because they pull people from Illinois to northwest Indiana. doesn't hit them all, but we're kind of like Porter County here, so we're like, it's Indiana. God's at work, and it's amazing. Well, uh, I'm grateful for that video, but secretly, I'm kind of more anxious for next year's video. Because if you noticed, uh, that had like two seconds of what's going on here at Hobart Portage. Because uh, we have yet to officially launch as a public church. That we, I don't know if you knew this, but you're on the ground floor and you're a part of a core team of something that is going to happen here in Porter County. God is, is forming us together. The best days of this church, I believe, are ahead of us. And I can't wait to see, I don't know if we can do like a uh, June, like mid-year check-in to see what God's been doing. But I want us to be a church that celebrates the activity of God publicly. And uh, I am so hopeful. Yeah, amen. I'm so hopeful for what's ahead of us. I'm so excited for what God's doing uh, in this church. And I, my wife and I have been so blessed already. I think I've said this like seven times from the pulpit. But we're so blessed by you and uh, the love that you've had for us and the way that we've gotten to know each other. And we're just encouraged to know what God can do through this church and what he is doing. Well, uh, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Six. I want us to be honest uh, this morning with ourselves and with God. I, wa- I want you to be honest with yourself, especially if you don't believe in God. Maybe you found your way here today. Uh, you had a neighbor who came to this church last week, and you're like, you've got to come see this kid that's like preaching at my church who's 12 years old. <laughs> you just got to come see him. And so you found your way here because it's like the circus. Or uh, I don't know if maybe you've, you've uh, had something happen in your life. You're like, I just need to get back to church. I just need to hear from God. Stuff's happening in your life. You used to go to church, but you came back now because there's questions in your life that you want answers for. And so you found yourself through the doors today. Whatever it is that brought you into church today, I want you to hear from God. To hear from Him. Because today's topic hits all of us in life, no matter what you believe about God. Whether you believe that God exists or not, it doesn't matter. All of us, at some point in our life, are going to ask this question that Peter is going to give us an answer to. It's the question of this. God, why am I hurting? I probably don't have to tell you guys this, but life can be sort of a grind, can't it? Anybody think, like, life has its ups and its downs? I'm asking you to be honest today. So life's got its ups and its downs. Okay, so we're about 33% honest. That's bad. But hurt happens. And by hurt, I don't mean just physical hurt, though some in here are in a constant state of pain and physical anxiousness, physical difficulty. Uh, But hurt refers to the emotional pain and heartbreak and anxiety of troubles. Hurt comes to us in the midst of our frail human lives and reminds us of the burden that it is to be human. And hurt doesn't discriminate. Regardless of the amount of money you may have or the amount of spinach that you may eat or how thick your skin is, hurt happens to all of us. And so this morning in the book of 1 Peter, we come to a passage that deals with the problem of pain. First Peter is a letter of honesty, a letter that looks pain square in the face and it gives an answer for the question of pain. It gives us a Christian answer. 
thinking of this Christian answer was C.S. Lewis, who famously said, God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences. But he shouts in our pain. Maybe today you're in pain. You're searching for some answers or at least some hope to get you through the trials and the grief around you. If that's you, be encouraged. Today is for you. Let's read in verse 6 and 7 together. You can read in your Bible while I read out loud. Peter says this, In this you rejoice, though for now, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is turning our gaze to consider the problem of pain and the hopes to find a solution. And this text is fit within the context of the larger picture of this chapter, the larger point that Christian, Christians, we have a hope no matter what the circumstances are around us. And this hope is rooted in the fact that Christ is no longer dead, but he is alive. And the future hope sold is such great expectations for when Jesus would come back. And verse 6 celebrates this reality. Peter says, in this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. It is a confidence in Christ and his future glorious return that allows us to rejoice in the midst of the world's unpleasantries. I'm reminded, as Christians... That the starting point for our perspective on the world is the gospel. That God is restoring and redeeming and reconciling that which was broken and lost and fractured. And that gives us all the context we need to know that our present struggle is not without the spilled blood of Christ and the power of God that raised him from the dead. Said plainly, this is the gospel. That God has entered into our hurt and our pain and our trials, and has overcome even the pain of the cross by Christ's resurrection from the dead. And this reframes the whole entire world that we see. And so Peter is showing us that a genuine mark of one who has been saved is this, that there is rejoicing when we reflect on the resurrection of Christ. That was last week. And yet still, in the words of Jesus himself, they ring very true today that in this world you will have many troubles. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. We rejoice that we still have troubles. We are free, and yet we still face trials. We rejoice even though we continue to suffer. Does that sound like an oxymoron to you? Does it sound like some mutually exclusive ideas like, I rejoice even though I'm suffering. I'm free even though I still have troubles. Well, that's actually two things in this world that go hand in hand, rejoicing and trials. Uh, They go together quite nicely, actually. And all too often, all too often, our, our pain brings us misery, brings us a sorrow. It brings us a scowl on our face. But here's, here's the big idea. Your trial doesn't have to cause you to be miserable. No matter what you're going through, you don't have to be miserable when you go through 
a trial. And here's how Peter's going to make his point. He's going to give us uh, four truths about trials that allow us to find rejoicing and hope in the midst of suffering. And so look at the text again. We ask the question, God, why am I hurting? And Peter tells us this. He says in verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. We ask a why question, and Peter answers with a when answer. Why am I suffering, God? And Peter says, trials are temporary. If you're actually trying to synthesize this, it kind of is like Peter's like Yoda. And you're asking him, why am I suffering? And he says, it will be over soon. You're like, that's not the answer to the question that I asked. What, what, are you, what are you talking about? It's like a Jedi mind trick that he's playing on us, or like a bad fortune cookie. You hurt because it's temporary. What? It doesn't really make sense. But, but what Peter is trying to do for us, and don't, don't miss this important piece, is that when we ask a why question, God wants to answer this. He wants to tell us it's not forever. It's ask the how long question. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. I don't know about you, but in the midst of a trial, I so lose sight of time. Uh, my wife and I are packing up our house right now. We have yet to find a place to live. We are having a child uh, probably like eight days after we close on our house. My wife has to move in with her in-laws. We've just started a, a new venture here in this community with all of you. Um, in the midst of all of this, we have due dates, literal due dates. Like there's a due date on the house, there's a due date on the baby, there's a due date by when we want to be here. And yet even in the midst of it, I know what these due dates are. I can so quickly be like, God, how long is this going to go on? How long is this trial going to happen? We quickly do this, especially or even when we know that there's an end. But sometimes our trials have no end, do they? You look at cancer and you say, two rounds, three rounds, four rounds of chemo? God, what, what, how long? You look at your children who have wandered away and you say, one year, two years, three years, four? But Peter reminds us that trials are only temporary. That there is relief in sight. Peter, in a couple of weeks, will get here to chapter 5, verse 10. If you're a cynic, you're thinking years will get there. He says, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. There it is again, after you've suffered again for a little while. Christian suffering is always temporary. It's not always going to be like this. It won't always feel like this. Christian pain it has no ultimate future because there is a coming eternal glory where christ himself will restore confirm and strengthen us amen paul says it this way in second corinthians four seventeen. he says for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison in light of eternity our momentary struggle is just that it's momentary and so thanks be to god that we have a hope of eternity which allows us to rejoice even in the midst of our present pain. All a Christian's trials are temporary, and all a non-believer's joy are temporary. Eternity is that great reversal 
all the believers, all the unbelievers' sorrows become unending. And all the Christians' joy becomes unending. So bring that to mind. Whatever pain I'm experiencing, this is temporary. I so, so, so hope in the midst of your trial that that brings comfort to you today. Trials are not only temporary, but Peter acknowledges in verse 6 that trials are painful. Look at verse 6. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You have been what? What is it? Grieved. Grieved. Grieved is a terrible word. It's sorrow, frustration, injustice, mourning, distress. These are things that cause pain, right? And Peter, I so love that Peter is honest with us. That he says trials are painful. Trials are painful. Anybody here think a trial is painful? You've been through a painful trial? Anybody? Anybody. Thank you. Yeah, some, some people are like two hands up. Yes. We know this. This is a part of our human existence. We don't have to manufacture the fact that we, we have to conjure up some emotion. We know that trials are painful. I so love that the Bible is so clearly written to real people. It's written by real people through the Spirit to real people. It is honest about life and the difficulties that we face. I don't know if you have a friend um, who, whenever you're going through something, they're like the super spiritual person. They're the one who, you're like, man, I just, I really don't know about this. I'm really struggling with this. And they're like, just cheer up, man. Trials are temporary. And they like quote the Bible verse back at you. And you're like, all I want to do right now is punch you in the face. <laughs> How could you throw that at me right now? <laughs> right? If you were to come to Peter and say, Peter, this is terrible. I don't know how long this is going to end. I don't know how it's going. I don't know why I'm going through this. I, ask, I fall on my knees daily and say, God, how long? Peter wouldn't be like, trials are temporary. He'd, he'd, he'd wrap his arms around you and say, I know. It's tough. Trials are the worst. They're painful. I love that about Peter. That we have someone who understands our human condition. Who understands the pain and the hurt that we feel. And we have various trials. There's so many categories of potential pain in the world. To list them would cause us to be in such despair. I'll just give you five, right? You have physical trials, relational, financial, political trials, and, and war. We have emotions like worry, fear, anger, depression, and many others. So do we have various trials in this life? Yeah. And they're painful. And so I, I ask you today, why do we fight this reality that trials are painful? Why do we feel as Christians as if we can't, in, in, in the midst of engaging a trial, be honest with ourselves? We lie to our coworkers, to our family, to our neighbors, and to our church about the hurt that is going on within us, don't we? I think Peter is trying to tell us today that it's okay to be going through a trial. It's okay to ask for help in the midst of a trial. It's okay to be weak in the midst of a trial. It's okay. You don't have to hide it. It's the devil's lie. It's the devil's lie that keeps us hiding what we all know to be true. That trials are painful. 
we're reminded then of why Christian community is so important. Paul says in Romans 12 that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. One of the marks of our church, of Bethel Church, of this campus, has to be that of life-changing fellowship. We want to be a part of building the Christian community that allows the gospel to be applied to our hurting hearts. And often that happens in the context where we can be honest with one another. In the context of a small group or in a serving group where you can pull some aside and just say, bro, man, I just need you to know I'm hurting and I'm, I'm really walking through this thing. And can you just be there with me? Or you can huddle up in the midst of uh, coffee with someone and just say, hey, here's what's going on in my life. I just need you to know, like, this is what I'm walking through. And I'm not complaining. I know that I've got hope in the midst of it, but this is hard right now. Can you just be praying for me? Or you can huddle up together before Awana starts on a Wednesday night and as leaders lift up each other's burdens and prayers uh, or burdens and requests and pray to God that he might alleviate our trials, that we might walk together through uh, these trials with each other in Christian community. They're painful, but we are in this together, aren't we? And so this is why you need people around you. To walk through a trial by yourself is one of the most miserable things, but to walk through it with 50 people, that changes your perspective. I was at the hospital a couple weeks ago for Phil, with, when Phyllis Zick uh, went into the hospital to have her for her uh, testing, and many of you know her story. I don't think that she would mind me sharing a little bit of it, but I asked her how she's doing, and she rattled off about 25 names of people who had been to the hospital before me. And she was only there for maybe 12 hours. To see the hope that it brought to a bleak situation, to see the fact that the body of Christ, when we rally together around those who are hurting, it lifts up the soul and it strengthens our faith. Trials are painful, but we are in this together. As, I, as we start out this new campus, our young church, as it takes on an identity of its own, I pray that we might band together in the hope of the gospel and walk with one another when times are tough. I pray that we don't become a place, listen, I pray that we don't become a place of perceived perfection. You do not have to have it all together to walk through these doors. If we're going to reach Portage, if we're going to reach Holbert, if we're going to reach Valparaiso, if we're going to reach Northwest Indiana, we have to be okay with the fact that people are imperfect and imperfect people who need the gospel need to walk through these doors. May we not put on an air as we come to, sh- come to church that you have to achieve or you have to be or you have to look like or you have to sound like or you have to sing. You don't... The gospel reaches people. All people have problems. That's why we need gospel. And so as we begin, as we walk together in Christian community, as we launch a campus and ask God to move, I'm just begging all of us, can we walk together and surround one another and lift one another up when they're going through painful trials? Amen? All right. Well, Peter's third encouragement is this, that there's purpose in the pain. There's purpose in the pain. Look at me. Look with me at verse 7. He says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what Peter says. He says, Trials are revealing and refining. Trials are revealing and refining. We ask the question, why, God, am I suffering? And Peter says, well, it's just temporary. It's going to be painful. We know those two two things are true. But then we realize that there's a refining process. There's a revealing process that God's putting us through. This is the answer that Christians have for why suffering happens, why we go through trials. If 
we look back again at verse 6, we see the short phrase, if necessary. If necessary, you have been grieved. If necessary implies that there's a purpose in your pain. If necessary. I don't know about you guys. I've never thought it was necessary for me to go through a trial. I don't think it's ever been necessary that you think that I should go through a trial. So who is it necessary for? Who's making this call? It's God. God's operational standard is so different than ours. We look at the world and we want equality and justice. The good people die old, the bad people die young. But we live in a world where the good people die young and the bad people die old, right? It's not the same mindset that we have. God looks upon us and he says, no, 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 I, I see where you're at, but we can do better. I want to I sharpen you. I want to refine you. I need to press you a little bit. So I'm going to have you walk through something that's going to be painful. It's just going to be for a little while, but it's going to refine you and it's going to help reveal that you have faith in me. Why do we suffer? It's because God is refining and and re. Uh, revealing our faith. I don't know about you, though. I really wish there was another way. God, couldn't you just save me and let me be better? Can you just save me and just to glory? But God says, no, I want you to walk through trials. My friends, you can't escape the trials that are around you, but you can walk through them and be refined by them. Peter uses the illustration here of gold being refined by fire. Um, we all know that you just don't start out with gold. Has anybody ever like mined gold before? No, this is a steel town. We worry about steel. Well, gold is this thing <laughs> that you can get out of the ground, and it's not pure, is it? No, it's it's just it's not pure. Uh, you got to refine it. You got to start working the imperfections out of it. You got to start melting it down. You got to start skimming the top. Goldsmiths, what they do is they, they work gold through this process. They liquefy it and then they, they heat it up and they put it through this intense process to refine it. And what this does is it gets the impurities out of it. And the carrot content, the value, the preciousness, the purity of the gold, it increases. Fire revealed the gold, fire refined the gold. Peter is saying that our faith is processed similarly. The analogy is that our faith is like gold and our trials are like fire. And that fire reveals our faith and that fire refines our faith. I've been around families, and I don't know if you have too, where all of a sudden they are launched into the furnace of a trial. And you realize quickly that their faith was superficial. It was more like a status symbol than anything else. That when the heat was turned up, they left the church, they shook their fist at God, they went wayward, they started to numb the pain and try to do things on their own as opposed to pressing in towards God. But I've also been around enough people, I've already mentioned Phyllis is one of them, as when the trials and the heat of our life gets turned up and the situations in life begin to really cause tension in our souls and we ask God, why, God, why? And in the midst of that, they press into the Lord. They give in to the trial. They allow themselves to be refined. They reveal that they have steep, strong faith. I've prayed with kids who have endured emotional scars and they've looked to the Lord for healing and hope and they've been refiled. I've 
uh, refine. I've been praying with families who have lost loved ones. And in the midst of this, they press in towards the Lord. Over the past year, I've been meeting with a group of guys on Wednesday mornings back in uh, Aurora. And it's one of the groups that I'm really sad to say goodbye to. One of the guys in this group is a guy named Charlie. Charlie's a businessman from Chicago. Charlie got saved last year. He's 70 years old. And uh, within weeks of being saved, Charlie was diagnosed with cancer, a brain tumor. He lost part of his vision. He lost his ability to taste. He had problems walking. Everything fell apart for Charlie, literally. And as we were able to, as a group, pray with Charlie and support Charlie, it was insanely awesome to watch Charlie's faith come out. And he proved in the midst of a trial that I believe in Christ and he has set me free from such great depravity. And he's, I remember the day when he said, I thank God for cancer because it's shown me that I have a genuine faith. Fire, it proves our faith. But it also refines our faith. When you take gold, you heat it up to 3,000 degrees. That's quite a furnace, isn't it? Anybody want that in their home? Maybe, actually, maybe not. Maybe not. It takes uh, 3,000 degrees to really get this thing to where it needs to go. And just for fun, if we could, for a moment, pretend like we were gold in the midst of reaching 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit, you might hear words like this. Ouch! This is hot! This hurts! Get me out of here! Why is this happening? Can't we do this another way? Is it really worth it? I'm already gold! How much better do I have to be? Please stop this! But the goldsmith knows that to purify the gold, to cause it to be more valuable, you've got to put it through the fire. Its worth is increased. And so when the heat is turned up on us, we might say, this stinks. This hurts. There's got to be some mistake. Why? Why not someone else? Why me? It was Tim Keller who said, sometimes God seems to be killing us when he's actually saving us. God uses the heat of trials to reveal and refine our faith. And so there's going to be, there's going to be, listen, if you've come to Christ, there is going to be short-term pain for long-term gain. You don't hear this at the Billy Graham Crusades, but it's true. And this is the single most valuable piece of our faith, I believe, that God enables us throughout the sufferings of life to realize that there's purpose in the pain, amen? And so when the heat is up, I want to give you a couple questions to be asking yourself, to be thinking about in the midst of your trial. Maybe as you think about your trial right now, you ask yourself these questions. Am I looking at this from a temporary perspective or an eternal perspective? Do I realize that trials are necessary at times and are for my good? Is my perspective shaped by a certain knowledge of God's sovereign and good plan for my life? Do I want to grow more spiritually or do I want to live comfortably? And is faith refinement a personal goal of mine? Do I aspire to have a high carrot content? Faith is refined and revealed by trials. And here's the last thing that Peter has before us today in verse 7. He says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says that there is pain, it's temporary, that there's for your refinement and revealing your faith. And all of this, when you have refined faith, it brings about praise and glory and honor. So your trials, like 24 karat gold moments, is praise and glory and honor. This is the goal. This is the product. This is what happens when we endure trials. Praise and glory and honor. But to whom? Well, on first glance, when we read this, we think these are all things that God says belong to himself. So it must be to him. But if we read it again, we see that your faith results in praise and glory and honor at the end times. So it belongs to you. So who's getting the praise and the glory and the honor? The answer is you and God. It's both. Your trial will bring you and God praise and glory and honor at the day when Christ comes back. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Does that sound familiar? For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, when we endure trials, we are honored by God. This is the well done, my good and faithful servant moment that we all aspire to. But even more significant is the second truth that your trial brings about praise and glory and honor to God. If we return again to the illustration of gold, uh, we realize that gold was refined oftentimes for use in art. I don't know if you've ever seen like the sarcophagus for uh, a, a pharaoh is all embroidered or, or, or laid and gilded in gold. Uh, and jewelry has been made into precious works of art. A craftsman would refine the gold and create a ring or a headpiece or a necklace. If you go downtown Chicago, museums have lots of ancient uh, gold and artwork on display. Some are uh, high-end jewelers like Tiffany's are sought after for the way that they shape gold. People pay to see it in museums and they stand and admire it. The gold art itself is honored. But who gets the real honor? If we were all to go to the Louvre in Paris and look at the Mona Lisa, we'd say, wow, she looks confused. Maybe I'm just young, but I've never understood the magic behind that painting. But we'd all admire it and be like, ooh, cool. But then if Da Vinci was to walk into the room, what would you do? You'd kind of be like, you, you did that? So that's pretty cool. But you, you made that. Can I shake your, can you, can you sign this? Like, right? We'd be in awe of Da Vinci. We'd be like, ah, this is the guy who made that. The, the point is this, that art makes the case for us that the creation is always connected to the creator and it overshadows, uh, is overshadowed by the creator. It's not just the Messiah, but it's Handel's Messiah. It's not just the fifth symphony, it's Beethoven's fifth symphony. The work of art is praised, but the highest honor is given to the one who made the art. And so this is what Peter means. Guys, listen, this is what Peter means, is that our trials are a way 
of God perfecting and refining our faith so that we might be more purified for him, but so that he might get more honor in the end. Our trials ultimately lead to the glory of God. And so the trial itself becomes a kind of canvas whereby endurance of faith, our obedience in tough places, our refusal to give up on Jesus, they become paintings of faith hung in the gallery of God. Are we praised? Yeah. And rewarded by Jesus. But the ultimate glory, the ultimate honor, goes to the one who gave us the faith in the first place, who skillfully created it, revealed it, and purified it. And who skillfully crafted a beauty in us which results in glory and honor to Jesus himself. We have paintings and painters, symphonies and composers, sinners and a savior. So may we be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials are temporary. They're painful. They're refining and revealing. But purified faith brings about praise and honor and glory to God. Therefore, we're going to go out and endure for the sake and the glory of God. To his name be all the glory. Would you pray with me? Lord, I'm not entirely sure of all the trials that are happening in this room right now, but I know my own life. I know the pain and the difficulty and the tensions and the uncertainties that my wife and I face. God, I know that we have heartaches and health problems and habits, tensions. That, God, we wish we could do this another way. And if I'm being completely honest with you right now, Lord, I wish that there was a way that you could just download into us perfect holiness, that you could put perfect purity in our faith. And yet, God, this is the way you do it, for our good and for your glory. So may we forevermore rejoice knowing that this is temporary, that though it is painful, you are refining us, and that eternity with you is a place of perfection that we long to be in, and you are shaping us for that day. So we look to you now and say, God, help us, encourage us. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.